You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Thank you for joining our conversation today, our continued conversation, part three. We did not expect this to be a three-part series when we started this. I, I love when this happens. This is one of those topics that I think there's so many layers to that it makes sense why we're just making this three parts. I think we will have to make it end today. <laughs> we will make it end today. Before we get started, wanted to just remind those of you who have shown interest in my teen believing in you group that starts tomorrow. So today is the last day that you can register your teen for that ages 13 to 17. And one of the main goals that I have for creating this course is to help these amazing, awesome teenagers believe in themselves, have that healthy self-love where gosh, this is a hard time, right? When your worth and your self-esteem just starts to tank. So I want to offer them tools and concepts to help them navigate that in their lives right now. Also just navigating friendships where I'm seeing a lot more, Alana, I don't know if you've seen this also, but there are a lot more teens I'm working with who have already experienced abusive be like relationships with even just girlfriends and boyfriends. For sure. And not only that, but when they can have a voice and when they feel like they shouldn't and what's healthy and not what's healthy with friends, with family members, how to interact with their parents in a way that's healthy. There, there's so many different aspects you can take with teens and I will, I'll just put it out there. I'm having my daughter do this because a, I've listened to Amy teach and I'm like, I want that for my kids. So I, I like hundred percent plug this for your teen. If you have a teen who is struggling or not, this would right? be so beneficial. Yeah. They don't have to be in dire, in dire struggles, but I'm just saying right now, like there's no teenager that's got this figured out. And if you think they do, then you need to coach with me. <laughs> no, just kidding. But really, I, I love this so much. It's one of those things that I wish I had just emotional regulation. Some of these basic things that we're actually going to start talking about today in our actual topic. We want these teens to know I do have a separate boys, girl group and girl. Yes. I'm including teenage boys in that. So yeah, super awesome. That starts tomorrow. So get them signed up today. I just jump in really quick. Yeah. Because I can't tell you in my role as worth program director, how many times people have reached out and they were like, where's the program for the boys? Hey. I want my young man to have healthy skills of what a healthy relationship looks like. Where's the program for the boys? It's yeah. Huge. Yeah. That's huge. I have YSA boy too, by the way. I don't think that's gotten out there because I just started that. But YSA men, not boy, <laughs> young single adult men, like I do my young single adult women, that's been created as well. Because to your point, there isn't um, enough resources for, for them either. So yeah. we're getting them, we're getting them. And then Alana, you've got a couple that are starting here in a few days. So this Saturday, the 30th of April is my men's helper heal group. That's starting off. It's a closed group. So you have to do it by Saturday and it's a 12 week group. And we're really focusing on men who are really committed to healing and knowing how, or learning how to build empathy to help their wife heal. 
So those are for those who are in relationships, they're in a good place in their recovery, but the empathy part, that's one of the hardest parts I see men struggle with is how to get there. So we're going to dive into that. I love this so much. And this literally just leads us right into where we left off last episode in, in our list of things that we wanted to discuss and talk about what to look for in your partner in terms of, are they healing? Are they moving towards recovery? And that is this emotional piece. So are they working on their emotional management? Which is why I love that you're doing this course. I want to reiterate something you said though, because a lot of women are going to hear that and be like, yes, please. And they're going to want to run and tell her husband to join this group. And can you just elaborate Alana a little bit more on when they're ready to take this course with you and what indicating what indicators, why can't I put that phrase together? And when they're not ready, dumb that down when they're not ready to take that course. That's a really good question. They can take the course anywhere in their journey, but shame is a number one blocker of empathy. And so if they have a ton of shame still, if they haven't done any type of shame work, we can do the cognitive learning about how to hold space for empathy, but the follow through and the doing it consistently is going to take time. Even as they learn it, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, three months, I can wait three months for him to get empathy. Oh, honey, like he's going to learn, but empathy has a lot of layers to it. And it's going to be part of him learning empathy for himself, empathy for others, and then empathy for you and empathy for you becomes one of the hardest because of the shame of his choices or the shame of how he's hurt you or shame. That's just been embedded since childhood. So the more shame we have, the harder it will be, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. It doesn't mean that we can't start learning about it today. I think it's essential What I'm not interested in is I'm not interested in men coming to the group because somebody told them to. And if somebody, if you share it with him and he chooses that and he wants that for him, awesome. But if he's doing it just to satisfy you, just to check a box, then it's going to be a waste of time and money. And and I don't want that for you. I don't want that for him. So don't Uh, sign him up. Basically don't go in there and fill out the forms and mention it, suggest it back away and watch. Yeah. I will tell you though, I do know a few of the men who have already signed up and it's going to be a good group. I am really excited to start this one. That's awesome. I'm so glad you're doing that because that emotional management versus turning to another addictive behavior or numbing out, which we see that a lot, they might not be acting out sexually anymore, but now they're just turning to another behavior that might not be as dangerous, but it's still addictive. So talk Uh, more about that. Yeah. And the addictive piece of this is if we're using any type of addictive behavior to numb out, numb those feelings that are uncomfortable, then we're not actually growing in our emotional management. But here's the thing too, with this, and I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth for a minute, but if you have been acting out um, sexually especially if it's, or with alcohol or gambling or any type of extreme addictive or acting out behaviors. And we're going to turn to food or gaming in the beginning, as we're transitioning away from that's pretty common. 
And that's not our end goal. But if you see that just recognizing, okay, we are shifting, that's getting better, but that's not where we're going to stop. And that's not where we're going to stay. We want to keep working so we can get rid of all of the numbing behaviors. So instead of numbing, we may have periods of coping. We may have periods where there's times where I just want to turn on something and check out and let my brain have a rest, which is very different of anytime I feel something that's uncomfortable, I'm turning on my phone or I'm turning on the TV. So there's a difference there. So we want to be working towards that, being able to sit with what's coming up process through it and work through the emotions instead of numbing them out. Yeah. I I love that you watched us through that. And one thing I want to reiterate is sitting with the uncomfortable, learning how to sit with that. Because again, it doesn't matter what we're turning to, to numb out. Like I mentioned last episode, sugar for me, that's become something that's addictive for me in my life. But when I work on that, and I allow myself to sit with the uncomfortable rather than turning to the sugar. I sit with why I want to turn with that. And I drop into the awareness, get more curious about what my thoughts are. That's making me want to turn to that. That's the work that we're talking about here. So learning those skills are amazing for all of us. All of us. Oh, for sure. This reminds me when Luke and I were first doing our journey. And in the beginning, he was in such a state of his own shock and his own trauma of everything that was happening. His life was literally falling apart from every angle. And he first season was just not taking care of himself, not eating, not doing anything. And he lost weight quickly. And his therapist was like, okay, man, you got to take care of yourself. You got to take care of your body. But that became like this catapult to really take care of himself. He went off sugar. He was running every day. He was really trying to be like this healthiest version of him. And I remember it was probably like five months into recovery, maybe six. And we were at Disneyland and he ordered a caramel apple. And that was so triggering for me because that was the first time since D-Day that I saw him choose like a dessert. And in my head, instantly, like trauma brain connected, he's eating dessert. That means he's going back to his addictive behavior. Maybe he's already there. He's going to be sleeping with other people. Oh my gosh, my marriage is over. My life is over. And it just did that in like a millisecond, just do, 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 do. And that was really scary for me because I was watching everything he was doing, everything of, is he safe? Is he safe? Is he safe? And so I remember him eating sugar and my brain instantly went, he's not safe. He's not safe. And now we're eight years later, sugar, not to throw his stuff out there, but he talks about this too, but sugar is all like, that's been a real challenge for him, his food. And he's had to learn and still struggles sometimes with not numbing out with the food and sitting with those emotions. And that one still goes up and down the sexual addiction. All of that is really good. This piece is still there. And here's one really interesting thing about sexual addiction in particular and food addictions. These two tend to go really hand in hand because unlike alcohol or drugs or gambling, you can't just get it out of your body and then just avoid it and not have it there. You have to keep consuming food. We are sexual beings. And so unless we turn our sexuality hundred percent off, which we don't want to do because there's actually beautiful benefits of connection with our sexuality and with ourself. And so we don't want to turn our sexuality off 
So we have to learn how to engage with food and our sexuality in a healthy way versus other ones where we can literally just cut it out. So it's complicated. It's so complicated. And one of the things that you tapped in too, that I think is part of this complicated healing journey is you said that you were watching everything, like every move that he was making. And then your trauma brain would kick in on all these different, you know, pieces. And I I think spending just a little time here because we tell our clients, watch the feet. So maybe it's worth sidestepping just a moment and talking about the difference here, watching the feet towards healing versus watching every single move. It's funny because I look back and I really think in the beginning, I needed to watch everything. I needed that for my safety, for my sanity. That was literally buying him one day at a time of me staying in the marriage. Which makes sense in the very beginning, but then this gets out of control. So how do you know when to make that shift? That's a good question. I, I feel like that's individualized because as I'm working with clients, sometimes we really need it. And that hypervigilance is showing up because we need it because there still hasn't been enough safety for our brain to go. It's okay. But at some point I see a transition happen with my women that they start recognizing that I, this isn't actually helping me. Like I'm feeling worse when I do this. And when we start recognizing that shift, that's when we start making the change. And that's where we really then start doing some work of, okay, it was really helpful. Now it's not. When is it helpful? When is it not? How do we start stepping out of it? Which brings up some unique fears that we have to process through. So I think it's really individualized. I love it when I ask you a question, then you give the answer that my brain wanted to give, (laughs) because I love that you just said that because really it comes down to our own emotional regulation. When we talk about that window of tolerance, how to get out of that hypervigilant is that emotional regulation. So again, fascinating, right? That we're talking about how noticing what healthy recovery looks like in our partner is emotional regulation and so for you. Okay. And before we jump off of this topic of numbing, I do want to talk about gaming for a minute because I, because I feel like this one is a big one. And sometimes this one can be confusing on what is just like something he really enjoys for his hobby. And when is it like numbing out and unhealthy? I love this. Dive in. I don't have it and eat. (laughs) I don't know. I just think about, I remember when I was living somewhere and our next door neighbor, he would play his game from nine o'clock at night until four o'clock in the morning. And then he'd get three hours of sleep and it was impacting his health. It was impacting his marriage. It was impacting his job. There were consequences in his life, but despite the consequences, he continued to do it, the negative consequences. And that to me, I can go, okay, the outcomes of this, it's problematic. Now, do I think an individual who wants to take a weekend now and then and play a game all day? I don't judge that. If they want to do that and they have the bandwidth and it's not impacting other things and it's not a consistent thing, then I say that is totally fine. That can absolutely be a hobby. I see it really problematic when, whenever it gets hard. Again, it's that turning to it to numb out. I'm turning to it to turn my brain off. I have a fight with my wife. I'm going to go play video games for an hour or two or three or four. I don't want to have this conversation. I'm going to go play video games. I had a hard day at work. I'm going to play video games. When it 
we get that link of every time when it gets difficult or hard or uncomfortable, we're turning to that, that becomes problematic. And video games affect your brain, similar to gambling. We have all, it affects your dopamine. It affects the serotonin. It's, it's going to put those things out of whack if it's not done in a controlled and managed way. Again, like management, it's like the word of the day. Yeah, it, it is. And yet this was where it gets tricky because I, as I'm listening to you talk, my, my coach brain is, is kicking in and I'm like, you know what, this again is, comes down to individual self-awareness and, and self-management because we are, I'll, I'm just going to make it about me. I'll, I'll use myself. If I saw my husband playing games and my thought about that was you should be helping out with this, or you should be doing laundry, or you have this lawn to mow or whatever. And that's what you should be doing with your time and not this. That's my thought, not his. My interpretation is you're numbing out. You're not supposed to be doing this. This is unhealthy. That can seem complicated, but in my coaching brain, it seems very simple. It's they have their own life to manage. This is their life experience. If this is what they want to experience, they have a right to do that. And maybe in their mind, it is, I'm not numbing out. I'm relaxing. So then this means we have to communicate. So this is where I would have to manage my brain and see that, okay, I'm thinking he should be doing something different or shouldn't be doing that. So those are my thoughts that might not be his. Let me then lean into relational behavior and communicate. Hey, I'm noticing that you're going on six hours of gaming can we do a quick check-in? Because my thought right now is I'm a little concerned. What are your thoughts? And lean into that communication element and then boundaries. If I don't feel safe with the behavior or his answer, that's when I create a boundary for myself. And that might look like, okay, he's been gaming all day. And even though he's saying that he's fine, I don't feel safe. So I'm not going to be intimate because there's been zero connection today. That's just, I just role played that really quickly. I know there's a thousand different scenarios in there, but I, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there. And that's not, I'm punishing you because right. you've ignored me all day. It, that's why I said there's no connection. Yeah. I'm not feeling emotionally connected. So that's not something I want to engage in for me. I need that connection before I'm sexually intimate. Exactly. So I, I don't know. I just think that really Again, this, my brain just went individual, like he has to individually manage his brain and you've got to individually manage yours around his recovery too, and be aware of what thoughts you're having about what he should or shouldn't be doing. And that can get tricky, which is why please work with someone. Yeah. It's funny. Cause as you're talking, I'm like, oh, there's so many feelings and so many layers to this. And I'm imagining women listening to this where they're living this mm. and I, it makes me think of, there's a few different public people like Jody Moore or Jennifer. Been uh, yeah. And when they talk about betrayal trauma, they, they just don't hit it on the head. Like they have pieces that are really good. And I think when you're further in your recovery can be really beneficial, but they haven't lived it or walked it. And so there's some pieces that they miss. And so when I listen to them, sometimes I'm like, ah, okay, yes, but you're missing this and this and this, and you have to make space for this. That's why what we do works because I've got that coaching brain and you've got the therapy brain. And so I think it's just important. This is why sometimes I hold back. Like 
I'm going to be super vulnerable here. When we talked about doing this podcast, I was so insecure about sharing these kinds of thoughts because I do understand the betrayal aspect and those little pieces that we want to validate the same time. It's so important to understand that if you really do want to be free, if you want to have your agency and your power back, then I want to offer you a different way to think because worrying about their brain all the time keeps you stuck and trapped. Yes. And, and that's what I wanted to highlight is if you're listening to this and what, as we're talking about the gaming in particular, and even shared responsibilities and a lot of feeling goes into this. And so when you hear the coaching, it can be triggering and it can be hard and it can like your brain is no stop. I don't want to hear this. And so I just want to make space that if you're feeling that, like what you just said there, Amy, of I'm offering you another way to think that does give you more freedom. Doesn't magically make your life situation better, but it empowers you to move forward. Yeah. And you'll know when you're ready. When I stopped therapy for a little while, because I felt like I was ready for that next push, it did trigger me with my coach. Yet I wanted to push myself because I wanted that next level of freedom and empowerment. So I think it's just good to every once in a while, like remind everybody, this is what, this is our, why I feel like our podcast is so unique to all the different betrayal trauma podcasts out there, because we offer these different um, ways of, of approaching healing and in the journey, right? Different- okay. It's cool that I just realized about you is you said you yes, did tell me. therapy and then you stepped back in the coaching really took you to another level, which made you uncomfortable, but it took you to another level, which I think probably played into you then being able to get back into your therapy and look at some of the areas even deeper. And and I just, I really think that when you can intertwine your coaching and therapy together, there's some magic that can happen. I love working with someone who's also doing coaching. Oh yeah. We've talked about this before and darn that, that me going back into therapy has helped unravel some things that I wasn't able to do before coaching, because I've gotten myself to a different place of empowerment and self-love and self-compassion where I can see some of these pieces that I can let go of that I held onto so tightly, like you were saying before, as a, as a way to survive. But now I don't need that to survive anymore. I have to step into a different, a different level. So anyways, I don't want to get too sidetracked on that, but I I just like reminding, I guess, our listeners that this is what we are offering you and why I think our podcast is so awesome because it really does give you a way to stop and go, whoa, whoa, that was hard to hear. Why? Okay. So the next one is they own what they need to change versus focusing on what their spouse needs to change. Ooh, 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 ooh. Tell me more, Alana, tell me more. Why is this so important? This one, this one brings up a little bit of feeling for me. It's empathy for the wives of the men I work with who they usually do come in with this mindset in the beginning. A lot of, she would respond in this way or she would do this. And really that's human nature. I think how many women are doing the exact same thing? Well, if he would do this, if they would do this, 
But when we can really look at what we need to change, that's where growth happens. As long as we're looking at somebody else to change, we're not going to be growing because now we're waiting. Now it's, we're sitting down on the path going, okay, now it's your turn to move. And I just want to validate. There were times where I was absolutely in that place of, no, you do it. I have worked my butt off our entire marriage. I have drug you along. You change. Like I've been there, but I can't live there because living there leaves me stuck. And, and there's also, I just want to validate too anger of why do I need to get help? Why do I have to heal? Why do I have to go through this? I didn't choose this. That piece of it too is very real. And I think that's a part of the grief and mourning, the anger piece that needs to have some space made for it too. I'm writing that down and circling it because we're going to do an episode on that. Why do I have to change when he did this? So look for that. I'm not kidding. That can be a whole episode. And I got a lot to say on that one. Okay. So validating just what you just said there, I think again, and we talked about this, I think maybe in part two, you want them to change for themselves, right? You want them ultimately to change because they are stepping into that self-awareness and they see where they want to improve their life. And that can be really attractive. I was talking to a client about this and her husband is doing his work remarkably. And because he's working with Luke, I'm just going to keep plugging Luke. So amazing to do one-on-ones with him, but Luke's really challenging him to actually have a voice and challenging him to lean into more of his own self-awareness. And because they're working now on the relationship, it's okay. You know what? Yes. I can see how you would triggered, but that doesn't give you the right to treat me that way. And I would actually like you to not talk to me that way. That can be very, I'm going to say the word threatening. Cause that's the word this particular client used threatening to hear your husband respond to you with his own boundary when you're working relationally. But I was trying to show her how that was freaking awesome and yeah. why that was awesome. And why we can look at that as a sign of recovery. Yeah, because he's starting to learn what is healthy and he's having a voice, not in a voice that's overrunning you or tearing you apart or having control over you, but it's having a voice in a healthy way that relationally for the marriage to work at some point has to become part of the equation. Yeah. And it was about him, right? It was like, Hey, this is what's okay with me. Here's what's not. So it was, it was so healthy and that's what we're wanting. I a hundred percent agree. There's so much to this. That's so complicated because I'm remembering a time that Luke and I were walking and I was voicing how I was feeling. And he's like, why are you attacking me? And I was, I'm, I'm not yelling. I'm not being intense. I'm not like, literally, I was just talking about my pain, but my pain felt like such an attack for him. And he tried to voice that in a, in a healthy way but he had so much stuff still so much stuff coming up that any of my talking about my pain to him felt like aggression, felt like we were fighting, felt like I was yelling. And this is quite common. And so sometimes in this like earlier recovery and their attempts to have a voice, they have a voice and shut down all of your feelings, just basically like 
you voicing them because it feels like too much for them. And so I, it's, this is where it's hard. It's very sticky. Yeah. Is there, what you just described is really healthy. They're having a voice. They've done the work. They're owning what's coming up for them. Here's another piece too. I, I see a lot of, I have a couple of my men who, as they're doing the work and they're learning about feelings and learning how to have a voice, they're, they're taking up the majority of the space in the relationship because now they're saying, this is how I feel. And this is how I think. And they're overrunning their wife's feelings and emotions. And so I guess my point in bringing all of this up is this piece of it is really tricky and it takes time. And when you can have a professional help navigate that, I do think it is really helpful because yes, if they are owning what they need for change, they're owning their own voice, they're owning their own feelings and all of that versus looking to you to change, that is really healthy. And we want them to do it in a way that doesn't take away from you. Yes. And I think that's a great place to just reiterate and wrap up because we, there's again, so many different pieces to this because there's so many different stages of healing and recovery. Ultimately, it still comes down to stay in your bubble, just own your own stuff, notice what's happening, but hold space in like in your own space. (laughs) Hey, I could coin that hold space in your own space. (laughs) That's where you will see reality, continue to trust your gut right? When you are noticing signs of recovery, Alana, at what point do you leave room for that human brain versus addict brain? So for example, Uh, when I got remarried to Scott, who's not an addict, he, he would lay in bed and read his scriptures on his phone or check emails on his phone or whatever. That was very triggering for me because of my past relationship and what that meant previously with an addict brain. So I was constantly being triggered and I worked up the bravery to have a voice around that and say, you know what, this is triggering me. I would appreciate it. And I'm just making a request, but I was saying, I would love for you not to use your phone. It triggers me right now. And he did not understand that he was having a hard time going, okay, but I'm not doing anything. I'm not, you're laying right here looking at it. Yeah, but it's triggering me. I don't like how I feel right now in my body. I can't, I don't feel safe in this bed. I don't feel like I can sleep knowing you're on the phone. So right now I just am asking you not to be on the phone. And he was not pushing back, but like just trying to understand. Okay. But I'm not like, I, and which triggered me more. <laughs> I had the expectation of him to put the freaking phone down. Just do what I say and put it down. <laughs> Don't ask questions. But because he was trying to get curious and ask questions, it was triggering me even more. He had got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of this conversation. And while he left, I started crying and I was just like freaking out. And I remember I had put my head down into the bed crying. And I said to God, I was like, you've got to be kidding me right now. This is not happening again. Like my brain went right back to this is all how it starts and it's blah, blah, blah. And I, and I just was like gripping my fists and gripping the blankets. And I heard a thought very clearly. My interpretation was it came from him was even healthy brains have a hard time figuring this relational stuff out. Yeah. 
And it was this aha moment. Wait, say that again. Say that line again. Even healthy brains have a hard time figuring this relational stuff out. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay. And it was another beautiful teaching moment for me in my own recovery. I don't know where this all fits in there, but this, I just felt like I needed to share that experience. So go with it. (laughs) Make sense of all of that, Alana. (laughs) No, I love that you shared that example because you were exactly right that that piece of, is it addict brain? Is it healthy brain? Just seeking to understand where does one line end? Where does one begin? There's no clear cut black, white. And so yes, like healthy couples still have to work to navigate being in relationships. And here's where I have learned what healthy is based on this experience. So I'll walk you through the rest of this. Because before there would have not been a respect for any of that and a complete disregard. Any of that means your feelings? Of my feelings and the request. Mm, Okay. This man, even though he was trying to understand and asking questions, that's okay. Before asking questions was threatening because it wasn't followed up with the feet walking. It was, I'm going to ask questions and dig and then ultimately make you wrong and crazy. Asking questions to devalue what you're saying, asking questions so that he can become right. Correct. This one was, I want to ask questions to understand. And this is why I was saying earlier, I had to manage my own brain here. And that's why I loved the thought I think God offered me because it helped me go, okay. It dropped like a little bit of defensiveness and drop into, okay, I'm going to just manage my brain here. But ultimately what happened was a compromise, which is relational. It was okay. I hear that you're triggered because of your past that has nothing to do with me. Bingo. So he honored that request. And then my compromise was, I'm going to work on telling a different story. So I'm going to work on identifying my relationship from my higher self and not this trauma part. I love my trauma part. I love that it was like freaking the hell out, but Hey, I don't need to in this scenario, there's change. So I'm going to lean into the relational part and compromise and practice thinking a different thought from my higher self, not my trauma part. And so how that played out was there was a couple months where he didn't, as I did my work to tell a different story from my higher self. And it doesn't bother me anymore. I love that you slowed that down and just described all of that. And I'm hoping for our listeners, as you're listening, I hope that was helpful. I hope so too, because I hate it when I trigger people, even though I'm working on letting that go. Okay. The next one I feel like goes into this staying in your own bubble and staying in your own bubble also does not mean you can't be relational and do relational work. It just means you're owning your own thoughts, your feelings, and your choices. But the next one is, is a man who is working recovery will give his spouse space and closeness as they need it versus the opposite of that, only worrying how distance and closeness is impacting them. So I'm going to read that again. I'm going to say that again. They give their spouse space and closeness as their spouse needs it versus only worrying how distance or closeness is impacting them. And and I love that it breaks up space and closeness because I see both sides of that. Depending on their attachment styles 
I see some who just need always to be close and always to have that connection because they're trying to fulfill their own needs or they're pushing away, they're avoiding, or they're shutting down a lot. And so it's this really, this piece right here comes down to the empathy. This is a lot of empathy right here of as your wife is healing and she has had so much trauma, there are times that she is going to need more space. There's times she may need more closeness and being sensitive to her trauma and what she needs that can, that's so empathetic. Yeah. And I can see how this also, let's try really hard not to go on a total tangent on this one too, but I, I do feel like this one can also be so confusing based on what stage of recovery you both are in, because I feel like, you know what, I'm just going to leave it at, they need to take your class. (laughs) The men just need to take your class and figure this one out. You'll go into more on this, but that's such an important piece, space and closeness and what that looks like in a healthy way. I heard one time in a training, and I can't remember if it was a betrayal trauma specific training or if it was just EFT, but they were talking about, not it must've been betrayal trauma because they were talking about when she or the person who's been betrayed gets really triggered and they want and need some space because the person who hurt them, they, they need a little distance from that pain. And what they described is they said, okay, so what I want you to work with your couple on is pulling back to the, where they need that space and staying there. Because what happens is sometimes they need space and then the partners, they need space. I'm going to go over here to Timbuktu and then they're just abandoned. And so it's pulling back at the level of space they need. And then holding firm, holding steady. I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere, but I'm giving you whatever space you need. And for some women, that space may be, I just need you to sleep somewhere else for a night. Space may need be, I just, I'm feeling really triggered. I need some space to think about the space. Maybe I need to live separately for a while, but it's respecting what she needs to heal, but not abandoning. Yes. And yes to all of that. And I think it's really important to clearly define what your idea of space and closeness is and communicate that if you're trying to be relational. Yes. Because well, space not trying to be relational, Yeah, but uh, we're talking about couples who are trying to figure this all out. And so if you, if you're in looking for your partner, who's working recovery to give you space and closeness, you've got to clearly communicate what space is to you and what closeness is to you. And that might change and that's okay too. And I think it's sometimes space might look one way to someone and and another to someone else. And sometimes you think you want space, but you really want closeness. So I think you've got to do again, your own work here. And you might initially feel like, okay, I need space. That's when you've got to maybe drop into even more awareness. Okay. What am I defining space right now? What does that look like? And do I want a little bit of space this way and a little bit of closeness this way? And we did that whole episode on self-betrayal and, and I've seen like times and you know what, I'm just going to own me. I've had times where I was like, just hold me just, and this is in my head, just hold me. And, And he doesn't like he, what the hell? He's not reading my mind. That's what my brain is saying. I want him to just know what I need in that moment. And in his head, he's going what do I do? What do I, does she, does she want me to leave? Does she want me to hold her? What do I do here? And that for me was actually really hard work to voice of, I need you to go away right now, or 
I just need to be held right now. That to me felt so vulnerable. And so I had to do a lot of work around having my voice around this. So I I love how you brought that point up. Well, vulnerable. And I think it plays a lot into a, a tape that a lot of us women got somehow, somewhere that if I have to tell you how to love me, it's not real. If I have to tell you that you need to hold me, it doesn't really mean anything. So this, you've got to communicate it. And I've had to lean into that big time. So it's really, ladies, it's a really beautiful empowerment step, having a voice, giving yourself permission that all those things that we've talked about before, being able to say, here's where I need you to show up and what I need you to do right now. That's pretty cool. Okay. So let's jump to the next one. So this also is another empathy one is that someone who is really working recovery shows that there is effort to understand the hurt that they've caused, not only their spouse, but their loved ones and other people around versus criticizing, blaming, not taking personal responsibility. So we've said this one in other ones, but that piece of wanting and trying to understand the hurt that they've caused, that takes a really deep level of humility. And I think that's an important piece. How long and I know we hate giving time frames because then women hold on to that and then freak out. So don't do that, ladies. But what do you see preface that? Meaning, like, what needs to have happened before they can even step into that level of empathy? Does that make sense? Yes. I think the humility and trying to understand it can start at day one. I think that how much they understand it is going to increase the more that they work their recovery. Okay. But you said the key word, and that's what I was looking for, I think is humility. So if it's, if they drop into that, that humility, which that's one of our right humility, empathy, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That's where I was curious. Yeah. Humility can start immediately. Humility can start at day one, but the level of understanding and getting it. And here's the thing I want to put out there and women, I'm so sorry. This piece sucks is He will never fully understand it. He's not capable of that. Another human is not capable of fully understanding every aspect and every piece of your pain and what it feels like. So it's, even if you went and cheated on him or you went and did whatever he did, he is still not going to feel that same level because of already the history we have, because he has different life experiences, because he has a different frame through which he's seeing life, because he, if we're talking male and female, he's a male, not a female. There's all of these pieces that are just going to change the situation that he will never feel it and understand it to full capacity. And there's a lot of feelings of unfairness with that. And a lot of feelings of anger with that. And so we have to do a lot of our own work with that because, and I'll tell you, I hung on to that one for years, like years of he needs to get it because my brain put together, as long as he doesn't fully get it, then he will go back to it. The reality is he can understand it to his capacity level and he can get it and not go back to it without understanding it fully. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely is a hard piece to work through but so important to the relational aspect of it. Yeah. Okay. So this one's another big one. It's when they are working to earn trust with consistency over time versus 
being angry, moody, resentful, critical, or out of control and only think about their own needs. So again, that difference, I'm going to work to earn that trust consistently over time. And the book that we are always plugging worthy of her trust, worthy of her trust is a great book. And here's what I'm going to offer you to what to do with this. I would love for you to buy this book for you. And I would love for you as the betrayed to read this because this book's written for the, the one who acted out and betrayed, but I would love for those of you who've been betrayed to read it so that you know what you have a right to expect and see. There's a lot of myths that they debunk in that first few chapters, which I freaking love. And I think it really helps you to understand a little bit of that healthy versus unhealthy that we can get sucked into. So, um, confused about. So I love having my clients read that for themselves and you can offer again, this is a great book and then walk away, see if they read that, but that's a really fantastic book to add to your arsenal of books that you probably have. That one's a pretty short one too. Yeah. It's it's an easy read. Yeah. But it's so good. Okay. I, I will tell you, I'll just, some women that have read that have found it triggering because when you have had really unhealthy dynamics surrounding you and then you see, and it's really made clear that what you're in, that can bring up a lot of feelings that can be triggering to see what healthy looks like. And if you're really far from that in your current relationship to see, we're not close to that, that can be really painful. That's grief. It's grieving. You're seeing what you don't have and it's, yeah, it's hard. But at the same time, if you want to know what's available, what you actually have a right to. Yeah. Okay. So here's one that I don't see all of my men do it, but there, there are a few who fall into a little bit of this victim mentality is those who are in recovery are again, like owning their choices, but it's, I see some of them really are looking for sympathy from whoever they come in contact with, or they're trying to get people to take sides. Like my wife is wrong. I'm right. Or let me over, let me really explain and show you how I'm okay. Or let me show you how difficult and hard this is for me. And by all means find safe people. I want men to find safe people that they can process through, but there's a difference between seeking sympathy and validation and between really owning and doing your own work. So we don't need to go too far into that one, but I don't want to miss that piece that a healthy man is not looking for sympathy and validation on how hard it is for him. He's owning his feelings. He's working through it, appreciates validation when it comes, but he's not seeking that out from people he comes in contact with. And I've seen that where some men are over seeking that. And it's one of those things that you're going to cover in your class with them. Yes. At some point for sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll get no, a little, I, like that nice guy syndrome too, that kind yeah. of leads into that. Yeah. The other thing that of course that crossed my mind when we were talking to plug is Hallie Roderick's course on how to tame her triggers. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Taming your triggers, taming your triggers, both men and women. Yeah. Six weeks for women on just taming triggers and four weeks for men on responding to your wife's triggers. Yeah. 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 Cause this is a big part of recovery. And I want to plug that it's a fantastic 
course. So go to the Choose Recovery uh, website and it's under the courses. Hallie runs it. Yeah. Okay. So last one, last one. Then we're done with this topic. Of course, I'm most of this feeds into everything, but it's recovery looks like speaking and acting with respect versus being manipulative with fear, guilt, or threats to get what they want. And that piece, like I wish, I think respect is one of my favorite values or favorite words. I believe all humans deserve to be treated with respect, whether it's a child, a teenager, an adult, even my addict spouse, when he's acting out, I can still be respectful and boundaries are respectful. Stepping away from unhealthy behaviors is respectful. I can do it in a respectful way. I just respect to me is one of those things that everybody deserves. And so really a healthy individual is going to speak and act with respect to other people again, versus being manipulative with fear, guilt, or threats to get what they want. Do you want to add anything to that one? I'm looking at this quote that Brene had on, because when you're talking about respect and how everyone deserves it, what came to my mind is the word humanity. Yes. That's what we're respecting is, is yes. humanity. And so when you're talking about that, and it reminded me of a quote in Brene's brown new book, Atlas of the Heart, she talks about common humanity versus isolation. And she talks about how self-compassion involves recognizing that suffering and personal inadequacy is part of a shared human experience, something that we all go through rather than being something that happens to me alone. It's respecting that we are all human and giving some space to the, to that. Which is not always easy when we're in the, the height of our pain. I hope this list was beneficial to slow it down and break it down on what recovery can look like. I hope that it was abstract enough that you don't feel, I don't know, boxed into, I have to have this and this and this and this, or I won't be okay. But it's really important. And I just can't reiterate this enough. And I know you've heard this, this whole episode, but it's really important that you are doing your work. And if you're here listening, you are doing work but that you continue doing your own work. I did a TikTok video the other day and the TikTok, it was, it said, basically the more that we start to understand and see our own self-worth and value it, the more that red flags become less of red flags and they become deal breakers. So the more that you really do your own work with this, the more that you can see and understand what healthy looks like in a relationship. And then you can start creating that healthy relationship for yourself. We can't determine how the other person shows up, but we can determine what we are and are not willing to accept. We can have boundaries. We can move away from unhealthy relationships. If the other person isn't willing to change or do the work instead of waiting and hoping that they'll do something different, we can start changing for us immediately. And we can start creating healthier every day, starting now. As always, thank you for being part of our conversation. And we look forward to seeing you all next week. If you'd like more help with your recovery, then reach out to chooserecoveryservices.com. Check out our team of amazing coaches that will help you along your way. It is your choice 
to choose healing, choose recovery, and choose you. Take care, everybody.